Seinfeld, the opposite, is over and has been for quite some time. But we're just getting started here today on Seinfeld, the post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who know that if using your time productively is what you're supposed to do, we are clearly doing the opposite here. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Akiva Winokur. How are you, Rob? <laughs> Doing very good, Akiva. I was gonna see. I was gonna do like uh, you know that we should do the opposite of what we do. But then you stole my like riffing on your line <laughs> with your line. So I then I had nothing, and I was I was like I was left there bare. Here we are, Akiva. Are you ready to talk about the season five finale of Seinfeld? Here we are. Yeah, we're five ninths of the way done. Not real. But we started on season one. We've gotten through now through five seasons of podcasting. Only four seasons left to go. Yeah, we're almost halfway done with the uh, actual episodes. Uh, it feels like uh, just yesterday we started, but, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're at 94 more and, and then we're done. That's it. Yeah, we started back in June of 2014. I actually was uh, flipping through my YouTube channel and I was watching some video of me from April of 2014. I'm like, wow, I have really in the last year and a half have not been kind to me. You mean from like a looks perspective? <laughs> yeah. Are you going gray? I don't know. I don't no, like I, feel, I feel like I looked five years younger in the uh, video from a year ago. I think you're being hard on yourself. Here. I don't know. I think this this uh, baby stuff is really uh, taking a toll. It's like the freshman 15. I think so. And this is like sophomore 30. For your second I, don't know what, I don't know what's going on, but it's tough. Akiva. Anyway, so we're going to talk about the opposite. A classic episode of Seinfeld, certainly from May 19th, 1994. The season five finale written by Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld and Andy Cowan. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what Cowan was doing there, but, uh, you know, good job of him getting that credit. <laughs> yeah. Weasel is playing there. Gets a check in the mail every month. There you go. All right. So I'm very excited to talk about the opposite. I think this is uh, one of my favorite episodes and lots of good stuff here. Lots of memorable moments. Akiva, anything else before uh, we jump in news wise? I'll give you some quick uh, news. Nothing really uh, earth shattering uh, with uh, with Jerry. I think next week we could talk about um, how the comedians in co- cars getting coffee with Obama goes. But um, you know, we, we like to talk about year end lists, and and I'm very anti any top ten list because you know, let's say you had made, let's say I'd done my top ten TV shows two weeks ago and making the murder, making a murder hadn't even come out yet, or maybe the song of the year, the song of next summer or whatever, hasn't even come out yet. Maybe it's coming out today and, uh, you know, December, when we're recording this, December 30th, you know, so it's too early to call the year. Mm -hmm. But anyway, there was a top 10 list that I think, uh, you know, it it bears mentioning. Uh, We were actually, uh, this podcast was actually uh, named in a top 10 podcasts of 2015 list on a different podcast oh really yes what podcast was it was this on your nfl countdown yeah podcast? yeah yeah it was it was it was by alex chester <laughs> well thank you chester i even i even had stated the rules you couldn't but if you want to sort of soften the compliment a little bit uh he named us his number one podcast of the year wow but he named the the podcast that he's on the the football podcast the number three podcast so okay. i don't know if I don't know. I don't know if uh, if that's really a compliment, but we'll t- like we could say we're the number one. You know, we were ranked. You yes. know, sometimes like a movie will give a review, yeah, but it'll be out of context or it'll be from some like guy. Now you could just like have like that was a great movie, and like you look, it's like a guy on Twitter just saying that, and it's not even a real account. It's an egg person. Yeah, the podcast of 2015 from Chester. We were we were ranked number one. I don't think Serial got a single you know top ten. Wow, this year. They didn't really have any episodes, but we were ranked number one. Okay, so Chester can come back in 2016. I, well, why, are you, why do the, all the other fans get punished just because <laughs> Chester did something nice? 
Where's their top 10 list? Yeah. And I didn't, you know, but I, I even said, like, let's not do anything. Not, But also, like, his criteria was which podcast will I listen to first if each one has a new episode in my queue mm-hmm. when I go to look in the morning. And I, but really, it's probably narcissism on his point because he knows he'll be mentioned in our pod. He probably just skips to his question and then works backwards or doesn't even listen yeah. or something. Well, it's pretty narcissistic because uh, one, you know, uh, he got us to talk about him here in the opening of the show. And then uh, two, like his own podcast is number three on the list. So. Yeah, which is also insulting. Like which podcast was better than, <laughs> you know, better than anything I'm, you know, involved with. I don't know. Yeah. And, but at least you know at least he likes this one better all right so if you want to hear the full list of chester's top 10 podcasts no, don't even bother no year, don't, don't no uh, don't check out 32 fans in 32 days on itunes don't don't even don't even bother chester can't be rewarded for that <laughs> okay uh any other news uh no that's it okay all right well let's get into this because it's a great episode to talk about and the opposite starts off with jerry doing a bit about the handkerchief jerry is pretty grossed out about the handkerchief, basically how you have a snot rag that you carry around with you. Akiva, has the handkerchief fallen further out of favor in between 1994 and 2015 or 2016 as people are listening to this podcast? Or has it remained pretty consistent over the last 22 years? I think the pocket square really uh, is moving in on the handkerchief's turf. Is it coming back? Is the handkerchief coming back? Yes. I don't, I, listen, I don't know. Like I, In my room where I, I am like most of the time, no one ever has a handkerchief. I don't okay, know. Okay, so you're saying hanky is out, that there is the pocket square is in, and the pocket square is good because it serves the function of the handkerchief, but it does not have the purpose of you don't wipe your nose on it? Yeah, you're not blowing your nose on a pocket square. It's, yeah. it's, it's just there for a decorative purposes okay i mean it is nice to have like in sort of like playoff baseball games the handkerchief to be able to like wave around is there any reason that maybe sports fans might want to have that handkerchief well big games a lot of times they give out like the terrible towel type things Mm, okay so handkerchiefs just falling further and further out of favor. Yeah, in a generation from now people won't even understand the stand-up i do feel like it is more masculine to walk around with a handkerchief than say like the travel pack of tissues in your pocket yeah but we've already established this is a post-gender society so who cares how post-gender yeah yeah, I feel like uh, my father-in-law. I feel like he has, he still has the hanky in his pocket. He's not walking. It was always this. baffling. Like I don't, I don't even understand. Like it's fancy, but you blow your nose. I, I'm, I like it's not the funniest stand-up, but it's definitely correct. I don't know what, I don't know what people were thinking when this was invented. <laughs> Let's get into talking about the actual episode. We see first George Jess on the beach, looking out into the distance. Feels like that this is a shot that maybe was added in after. Yeah, it's a little out of place, um, but it's sort of it does set up the idea that, you know, George is thinking about big things here. Is this building off of the events in the marine biologist? Is George sort of like looking out into the ocean and being like, uh, remember that day, that time I saved the whale? I, it could be. I mean, I do think it's it's like uh, I've hit rock bottom. You know, I, I'm at this beach because my parents are home and I don't want to be near them. <laughs> And I'm just going to stare into the ocean. And I don't have a job. So, like, I'm just going to... He might be staring into the ocean every day, for all we know. Meanwhile, Elaine is with Mr. Lipman. We see Elaine, uh, as played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, with her hair... What would you call that? Uh, Blown out in a way that we've never seen before? Yeah, it's like she had, like, a hot date after this episode. And she she really, you know, wanted to get dressed up. Really? Like, a whole different look for Elaine for the first time here. 
Uh, yeah, it, Elaine, Elaine's look really uh, improves, I think, as the show goes on, and even after the show ends. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she's aged really well. To make her look totally disheveled by the end of the episode, they had to make her, like, as glamorous as possible at the start of the episode. Yeah, that's true. There's really a, a downfall for the entire uh, pen and publishing organization here. And so we find out here in the return of Mr. Lippman, first time we've seen him in a while, that Lippman is sick. Lippman is not feeling well. And at the same time that there is a big deal going down, uh, what's the name of the Japanese firm that's coming in? Uh, uh, you know what's funny? What's that? I knew that you were going to ask me, and I'm like, oh, I should write that down. I'm like, nah, you know what? Every time I write it down, Rob doesn't ask me, and I didn't write it yeah, down. What's but the, I think Ma- it's Matsushimi or something. Mats- yeah, Matsushito or Matsuhito, something like that. Yeah. Steven Matsuhito. So oh boy. they're coming in, and they are going to be, what, they're, they're buying out? Pendant? Yeah, I think it's explained as like a merger, but there's, they're clearly like the money part of this operation. Okay. So we then go to the diner, and Elaine is sort of like setting up all this exposition uh, that she's getting a promotion, she's getting more money, Pendant's being absorbed, that now that Pendant is going to be publishing Kramer's coffee table book with this influx of cash, and then on top of it, Elaine is dating Jake Jarmel again, and things are going great. Now, why bring back Jake Jarmel? My philosophy with the guest actors is 99% of the time, we like this person, so we're going to bring them back, and we don't like them. Like, why are they writing off Rachel at the end of this episode? I think they probably just like, oh, this actress doesn't bring enough to the table. Um, To me, it's like, oh, we like that actor, because they use Jake Jarmel um, in the trip, right? That he's like one of the cops in the trip. So clearly, it's an actor they liked enough to bring back for a meteor part. So that's my guess here. Well, Jake Jarmel, we last saw him in uh, what was the episode uh, that that he was in, where he was sniffing accountant. Sn- too many exclamation points was the problem. Yeah, I'm leaving. Yeah, and so we were sort of on the fence as to whether Elaine was intentionally uh, subverting him with all these exclamation points. And so somehow they end up back together and things are going so good. They're about to move in together. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Jar- why are you not a fan of Jarmel? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I'm really not. Person? I don't really understand him as a character. Yeah, but he doesn't really do a lot of uh, heavy lifting yeah. in this episode. He's got incredible chin cleavage. <laughs> I didn't even like pay attention to that. But yeah, that's, it's like re- the cleft chin. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's really stunning. Are people into chin cleavage? I'm not sure if people are into it, but this guy's got it. I, I would say that would be the hashtag for this episode, but now I shuddered to think what could possibly be attached to that hashtag. Yeah. He's got like the apricot emoji, like right on the bottom of his chin. Oh, man. I would not have understood that like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the apricot part? Yeah. I'm actually, I'm pro apricot. No, let's, not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> All right. So that's what's going on in Elaine's world. And here comes George. He comes in and he talks about how it is not going well for him. Why did it all turn out this way, Akiva? I mean, is George just realizing now that he's a loser? I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, he had it all. He had it all. He was smart, not in a book smart sort of way, but he was personable. And uh, he could always tell why people were having a bad time at parties when they were uncomfortable. Probably because they're talking to you, George. <laughs> And so he realizes that every instinct he ever had was wrong. Right. Except this one. Except for this one. Well, it's not working. And so once he realizes that everything is wrong, uh, he orders his lunch, which is a tuna on toast with coleslaw and a cup of coffee, and decides to start changing things up there and gets a lunch, which is the opposite of tuna on toast, coleslaw and coffee, 
which Georgia figures out is chicken salad on rye, untoasted with a cup of tea. So now you're going to ask me, is this the opposite? And you're 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 going to say this is not the opposite. I don't (laughs) think so. I feel like that the opposite of tuna salad probably doesn't have mayonnaise in it. To get real, and also remember, we're in a diner, so they serve like everything under the sun. So let's get away from bread altogether, right? If you want the opposite, of of tuna on toast and, and coleslaw coleslaw and potato salad are cousins almost right it's almost like that this is an adjacent lunch that he goes with yeah coleslaw and potato salad like hang out together all the time at a barbecue like oh those are the things nobody's touching mm-hmm. sure so tuna on toast like chicken salad and right you're right it's adjacent it's just like a minor mix-up yeah. but if you want to the op- what's the opposite of tuna on, on toast like he says salmon, but that's more of a joke because salmon is still fish. That's clearly not the opposite. Is we the, have to get away from fish and maybe from meat and chicken altogether. I was going to say, is the opposite a burger? Is the opposite of fish meat? What, but it has to like, burger is like a sandwich. Like this is, um, you know, th- so tuna on toast is, it, it's almost like it's better than what, what they did. But what if he orders like um, ice cream? Hmm. For lunch? Or what about sushi? Still fish. Yeah, but what if it's veggie sushi? Veggie sushi from the coffee shop? You're going to get get a a cucumber roll from Monk's? (laughs) I I guarantee you the 2015 equivalent of Monk's serves a cucumber roll. (laughs) And then uh, is the opposite of coffee tea. Yeah, see here I think it's like more on the nose. Hmm. Unless, I mean, what is he going to get? Like a like a soda? Decaf coffee. Maybe like spaghetti. What if pasta is the opposite of tuna on toast? That's interesting. Is the opposite of coffee alcohol? Oh, that's good. I mean, no, but tea is sort of like, tea is like an antonym for coffee. I, un- I understand the tea. Uh, can you get alcohol? Like, does the diner have a liquor license? See, I, I feel it. like that tea is like coffee's wingman. Yeah, but you're never going to have tea and coffee together. Well, you're not going to have beer and coffee together either. It's true. Coffee makes you awake. Beer makes you sleepy. All right, it's fine. So he could order a beer. Yeah. I mean, but then you're really giving up on life. Like if you're drinking a beer at that, you know, at a restaurant at lunch. Well, it all works out for him because there is a woman, I believe her name is Victoria, and yeah. she happens to have ordered the same lunch. George doesn't know that yet, uh, but she ends up looking his way. I do like that Elaine's line, which uh, she sort of like throws some cold water on the whole thing. She says, well, there's no telling what can happen from this. Uh, But a lot is going to start to happen from this. Yeah, you know, Victoria, she just has a few lines in this episode. She's forgotten about in the the annals of uh, Survivor history. But, (laughs) you know, she is really Survivor history. What did I say? Survivor Survivor. history. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Seinfeld. Well, she's really forgotten about in Survivor history. And Big Brother history. (laughs) Of, oh, Victoria. Yeah, we love the name Victoria. I think um, that, you know, she's a real big player. Like, this job comes about from her. We really need to credit her. And do you know who Victoria is? No, who is she? It's, uh, it's Michelle Pfeiffer's sister. Oh. And, yeah, I was thinking. Dee Pfeiffer. I, yeah, someone wrote that in. So credit to whoever wrote that in because I didn't realize. <laughs> By the way, I do love her, her bio on IMDb. She was previously married to Kevin Ryan, Santiago A. Gomez, and Gregory Fine. Good for her. Wow. Uh, uh, proceed with caution, gentlemen. But I think, um, so she's Michelle Fiverr's little sister. I was thinking about Michelle Fiverr, like, has anybody had a bigger fall? Like, she was, like, literally, like, one of the top three. It was, like, Julia Roberts and then her 20 years ago. Like, what is she doing now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is she on Twitter? No, she's not on Twitter. Yeah, and no, even she... Dee Dee's not on Twitter. Really? What are the Pfeiffer sisters doing on Twitter? 
I feel like maybe they'd be worried that they wouldn't be verified. They wouldn't have like at a certain point it's embarrassing that like someone has like you have like Brian Dunkelman on Twitter and he has like 500 followers. It's like it's better not even to be on there. Right. Um, so there is a official Michelle Pfeiffer Twitter, but it is not verified. And I'm not sure if it's actually it links to her MySpace. So I'm not sure <laughs> if this real is the real Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, I don't think so. Hmm. And Didi definitely. Didi's not anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she could have. The problem is she has so many last names. <laughs> You know, that it's hard to Google. Like, for someone who, like me, who likes to Google people, it's hard, you know, when they have the last names. Although I, I tease, my mother-in-law has, like, a few last names, and I tease her, like, it looks like on Facebook, because she uses all of them, and it's, she's been married, like, 12 times. Yeah. Now, Jerry says that the opposite of tuna is salmon, because the salmon swim upstream. I don't think that that argument holds a lot of water. I do like George's response, though. He says to Jerry, he's very annoyed, is like, uh, good for the tuna. Yeah, Jerry's just joking. He doesn't, nobody thinks that salmon's the opposite of tuna. <laughs> I should hope not. So, Elaine points out the woman looked at George. And so, Elaine says, go talk to her. And George says that, no, Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents don't approach strange women. And this is when Jerry says, well, maybe it's time to start doing the opposite. Yeah. I mean, is that true? Bald men with no jobs and no women don't approach strange women? I'm sure some do. I feel like, you know, the the, the na- sort of the nature of the bald man is explored a lot more in Curb Your Enthusiasm because the, you know, the protagonist is bald. Mm-hmm. But as like someone who's like balding myself, I don't know. I, I feel like... Uh, it's a you know this this is very anti bald person. You feel like that George's take on this is anti. Uh, no, the show's like the show's ethos is anti bald person. Okay, so it is uh, again not fair to the follically challenged. Sure, and it's on my mind because my kids wanted to watch my wedding video. They got like annoyed that they weren't at the wedding, mm-hmm. and then so they were watching it today, and then they were all like, "Oh, you had way more hair." Yeah. So now it's now it's like a sore subject. I do feel like that the uh, lack of hair, I feel like that things have gotten better from 1994 to 2016. Do you mean with Propecia or just in general, like our stance towards our acceptance of? I think the stance is improved and I think that there's probably more options because the Propecia stuff, that's like way too much effort for me. Yeah. Just for men. Yeah. I think, well, just for men is if you're gray, have gray hair. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't see it. I just, I just looking at, well, Walt Clyde Frazier's beard the whole time. Yes, which is, uh, which has, uh, you know, Seinfeld alum Keith Hernandez, just, just for men. Yes. But anyway, so George says, no, he can't go over there. And Jerry says, if every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. A very famous line. Yeah, he used to sit there and do nothing. But the opposite would be to go over there. So that's what he's going to do. Yeah. So George goes over there and says to the woman that he couldn't help but notice she has been looking at him. And she says, yes, you just ordered the same exact lunch as me. Which is such a gang thing to get excited about, right? It's like that's something that that Jerry would be excited about. Like, wow, we both ordered the exact same thing. (laughs) Yeah. And George says to her, hi, my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. And she is smitten from from the get go, from the jump. It's a better pickup line than I've never seen Star Wars before. <laughs> you didn't go see it this week? No, I'm, uh, I, I went back, but I was going to go. And then uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks road chip uh, drove me back for the fourth time. I saw on one of the sites, one of like the um, like a link dump sites that somebody had who'd never seen Star Wars before, like live tweeted all of the movies. And they said it was hilarious. Like that could have been you. It could have been, but then then what do I have? Like, that's funny for for those seven episodes, but it's like, 
you know, if you if you're undefeated, and then what? It's like people think that they want like when the Carolina Panthers are are fourteen and zero, people think that you want them to like go undefeated and then win the Super Bowl. But then the next year, what do you have? Like, what can a team do that's exciting? It, it someone's gone sixteen and zero again. So you're like the Mercury Morris of Star Wars tweeting? Yeah, I want to be the one guy celebrating when I'm still the last person who hasn't seen it. No, those people are monsters, like the Mercury Morrises and the Mike Shulas and the Earl Morals. But they're all terrible. But, I, I, but you know, you don't, want, you don't want the records to be broken because then there's nothing else to root for. Then you have nothing. Yeah. Nice. It's like we think we want the Mets and the Jets to win the World Series and the Super Bowl. But when they do, our lives will just be empty. Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> I guess we'll, we'd like to find out one day. Yes, we'd like to find out. But anyway, so we go back to Jerry's apartment and Jerry's on the phone. It turns out that one of his shows got canceled. And then uh, we're beginning the Even Steven storyline here for Jerry, which is a bit of a false storyline based on everything we've seen in the first five seasons of Seinfeld. Yeah, so we, you know, we tried to track it. There hasn't really been much in, in season four or five in terms of, I think the last time we mentioned he was down probably five, $6,000. At least. So this is non-canonical, but maybe for the rest of the series, he ends up going up money and, uh, you know, he ends up bringing you. So <laughs> this is like the halfway it. point, right? <laughs> yeah, this is the halfway point, And right now he's down big. But also everyone always says they're even. It's like poker. Like in the history of the world, only four people have ever been down over their life, you know? All right, Kramer comes in. It's all happening for Kramer. Coffee table book is a go. He's going to be on Regis and Kathy Lee. Very quick turnaround for this book that didn't even exist two scenes ago. Yeah. He's, already, he's already touring with the, with the hard copy of the book. He's ready to go. And I like the line that Jerry says to Kramer, oh, I'll loan you my puffy shirt. So good callback to earlier this season. Yeah, a lot of, you know, we got, an, we got a Scar Store Indian callback soon. There's a lot of callbacks here. Okay. And then the phone rings. Jerry got a new job. So he lost a job and then he had the job. And then Kramer says to Jerry, you know who you are? You're even Steven. Yep. Okay. So uh, we'll be following the even Steven storyline for Jerry. That's sort of like Jerry doesn't have much going on in this episode. No, but that's a pretty well-known storyline. Yeah. I think that even Steven is is well-known, but really, uh, I don't think that a lot of the laughs in the episode come out of the even Steven plot. No, it's more like factual. It's, it's, some, it's like when he has stand-up that's true, but it's not necessarily funny. <laughs> All right. So we end up seeing George going on his date uh, to go and go to the movies. Uh, first, we see Victoria commenting about George. Is he going to shave? He talks about how he likes growing out a beard. He is not really preoccupied with his personal appearance. Yeah, I mean, which is funny because he used to be preoccupied with his personal appearance. Like, is that really an opposite? I don't know. Maybe he, what he used to do is say like, oh, do you like the beard? Uh, I, like, I'll, I'll grow the beard. If you don't like it, I'll get rid of it. He basically tells her what's going on. Yeah, I'll, yeah I'm the boss here. So a lot of this episode has to do with being at the movie theater. Uh, we end up with George that he is sitting in the movie and then people are like kicking Victoria's seat kind of feel like taking a date to the movie is not really an opposite move, but uh, that is where George ends up taking her and people are like kicking his chair like these two like biker guys and George ends up standing up and telling these guys off. I mean, should he be going to the opera? Is that like the opposite move? The opposite of the movies is the opera. I feel like both things are sort of in a theater. Right. So should he go in like a, like a, one of those should he get should he get like a horse in Central Park and walk around on that? Yeah, I feel like that's more of the opposite of, the, of a movie. I feel like, uh, if, but maybe the opposite is that he's walking, he's bringing with like a girl that's pretty that he likes, as opposed to usual. Hmm. I just feel like that if he's going for that 
he is this real go-getter who is really got the world by the uh, by the horns. I feel like, uh, let's go on a date to the movies does not really capture that. That's fair. So anyway, he tells off these guys and he says uh, basically that if you want to go outside, I'll fight you. Jerry talks about in the inside look about how that this was like real dialogue that was taken from uh, some lunatic. Yeah, I mean, I, George's monologue here is really like convincing. Like he really is scary because you think like, oh, how is he going to scare these two guys who are you know bigger than him who are kicking his chair? <laughs> but like, but Jason Alexander, who's not a tall man in real life, you know, really sort of like stands up tall here, right? And he has like the low ground in terms of I'm not sure if it's stadium seating, but the guys are behind him. They look like that they're probably a little bit higher than he is. Also, yeah, it's like a slope. <laughs> All right. And then we cut to now Victoria and George in the car. She wants George to come upstairs. Hey, it's only 930. Why don't you come upstairs? And George says, no, no, I would not like to come upstairs. Now, in fairness, we have actually seen George, I think, say no a couple times before when a woman wants him to come upstairs. Right. But then he didn't realize what they wanted. (laughs) So it's his intentions that are different. here. Yeah. And so he says to her that, no, he's not going to do that. We don't know each other very well. Is that a good move? I think that from what I've read, the, the, the people that seem to do well with women think that, you know, you keep them guessing. They, they like the mystery is from from what I understand. So would I think Tom Likas be pro this move. No, no, he would not. He would say if you are getting the uh, you know signal from the third base coach. Uh, you are, you, you, you take the signal, you go, you, you go for it. Uh, but I think that this is a, uh, a better long-term move. Yeah. So if you're interested in a relationship, the better move is to like, she'll respect you more if you turn it down. I think so. I think so. Okay. But again, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Oh, that de- we're definitely <laughs> sure. playing hard to get. I don't think ever hurt. I'm sure it hurts. I don't know. I, you know, it's a different, I, it's a different time now than maybe, you know, 1994. So back at the movie theater. Was Elaine supposed to meet George at the movies? No, she's meeting Jake Jarmel. So they, it just happened to randomly both stories involve the movie theater? Yeah, yeah. Just randomly that she's also going to a different movie there. Elaine was supposed to meet Jake Jarmel at the movie theater, but unfortunately Jake Jarmel has been in a horrible auto accident, and somehow in this pre-cell phone era, Jake Jarmel is able to get a message from the hospital to Elaine at the theater to tell her exactly where he is and what has happened. I mean, without question, the most anachronistic thing that's happened in the whole series, right? <laughs> like, it's hard to wrap your head around because, like, you're Jake Jarmel. You're in an accident, but you know you're fine. You're, you're in your hospital bed. Okay, now you want to get in touch with Elaine. First of all, how long did this take that you're already, like, wrapped up and she's just waiting for you at the movie theater now? But let's assume it happened in the morning and, like, he knows she's going to be there now and, like, that's the first time he can reach her because she's not at work or not in her house. Mm-hmm. How does he even, like, get the movie theater's phone number <laughs> in the hospital? <laughs> like, there's so many. It is so crazy. Get the yellow pages. To, like, be, to not be able to find a person in 1994. Like, we forget how impossible it is. There are probably just so many people like this. Like, oh, they would just never see each other again. Yeah. Uh, he would probably have to call 411, get the number for the movie theater, get the 411 number. didn't even exist. Then. It didn't even exist? No, I think Bloomberg made it. Bloomberg made 411? I think that can't be right. Why? Because you wouldn't know it if Bloomberg made it because you you abandoned the city earlier. Yeah. Like, hold on. Let's see. When uh, when did uh, 411 uh, start? How about that? 311, I think. Okay. 
So according to Wikipedia, a 411 has been used since at least 1930 in New York City. So, okay, Bloomberg made 311. <laughs> well, it's 311. It's like you get a person and you talk to them and they, <laughs> I don't know. You make prank phone calls. I'm not sure what you do. <laughs> okay. Uh, I see the band 311. 311, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't do you know what I was told when, when I was a kid in school about the band 311? What's that? That they were called 311 because 11, uh, the 11th letter of the alphabet is, uh, is K. And so three Ks, KKK. They <laughs> wow, is that true? That, no, I'm sure it's not true. But that's what like a little, one of these little kid rumors that I heard. Okay. Wow. <laughs> All right. Yeah. According to uh, Snopes.com, uh, that story is false, Akiva. Oh, but it, oh, that, that made it all the way to Snopes, the, th- the KKK thing? Yes. There's been oh. no KKK involvement. But, uh, but, but what are they going to say? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that probably that ship has sailed for them to come out and say, uh, you know what? I, I, to, to be fair, yeah, you got us. That's, that's, that is what we were, we were going for. <laughs> I do like that you were right up there on the Snopes thing. (laughs) All right. So then we see that Elaine has been contacted by the theater manager who says that Jake Jarmel has been in an accident. He was sideswiped by a cab. He's okay. He's at St. Vincent's Hospital, room 907. A lot of information. The guy didn't even seem to be working off a piece of paper or anything like that. Yeah, this guy really, he must never get it. He must have been very excited to get this message because he really knew what was going on. I feel like if you called now, they'd be like, "Uh, why are you calling me? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine now trying to give a message to someone who's at the movie theater? No, it would never happen. I mean, what did he do? Give like a description? I mean, we saw this in the episode where, what was it, the opera, where they were trying to like, uh, hey, if you see a guy who's like a horse-faced, uh, you know, a hipster doofus, uh, like where we're trying to describe people, a big wall affair. Yeah, that's from the, in the movie when they're all going yeah. to the movies together. Yeah, but face I think, like a frying um, pan. Yeah, face like a frying pan. Uh, yeah, but... I, I mean, to me, it's just like the greatest, uh, you know, we should just be happy that we have cell phones and stuff now. Yeah. All right. So Elaine, before she leaves, she goes back to the counter and gets a box of Juji fruit. Akiva, have you ever had the Juji fruit? So I went to Juji fruits website because, you know, I do a lot of research and especially about food and their website says, because I know I've never had Juji fruit, that uh, Juji fruit is made with um with uh pig gelatin okay so juji fruit not kosher i've never had it all right um juji fruit is terrible really yeah it's it almost looks like a regular gummy yeah but it is you know like how a gummy is like soft and chewable yeah the, you want the soft chewable gummies this is like haribo like the like the cherries that type of thing yeah the juji fruit is like the hard like rock like where it doesn't crack. It's sort of like somewhat pliable, but it like gets all stuck to your teeth. Terrible, the juji fruits. Is that like a sun kiss? Do you remember those like single sun kiss in like the plastic wrapping you like take a them out? Like a starburst? Yeah. Well, no, 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 not a starburst. Yeah. Sun kiss is like they're, they're sort of like in between. Oh, no, that's more of a hard. jelly, I feel like. This yeah, is that's like a jelly. This is like these are really hard and they really just get stuck to your teeth. Right, I now never I'm not like missing these. Anything. No, you're not missing anything. Again, if I stop keeping kosher, I'm not going to go for the juji fruits yeah. first. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like if you're Jake Jarmel, you understand how insulted you are to find out that Elaine stopped to get this horrible candy. What would what if what if she says and again, she's caught when we get to it in a minute, like she's caught off guard. 
But I feel like a good liar, like a George Costanza, would just say like, oh, I thought that was your favorite candy and I wanted to cheer you up. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm a doctor. Like if I'm there 10 <laughs> seconds later, what's going to happen? That's fair. Like that at least, he, he, you know, he'll be annoyed, but he won't break up with her then. Okay. So but what? Would, but you said that's like a bad thing and he should be offended. Like what would be a good candy that he wouldn't be mad about? That he wouldn't be mad about? Like Twizzlers? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, you're not a chocolate guy. I would certainly uh, be more understanding if somebody stopped to get chocolate. But what about milk, like, but movie theater stuff? So like milk duds? Milk duds are terrible also. I actually kind of like milk duds. Yeah. I think, they're, I think they're duds. I think that's why they call them milk duds. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I like something with uh, the chocolate. Uh, something, you know, get some peanuts in there. Why not? So what? Okay, fine. So, but anyway, he's annoyed. He's going to be annoyed. He's going to be annoyed. All right. So anyway, Elaine is going to town on the Juji fruits in the hospital room with Jake Jarmel. How could people be so stupid? And Jake Jarmel wants to get to the bottom of, well, did you get the message from the manager? And he says, yeah, Uh, Elaine uh, got the message from him. And he wants to know, how did you have time? I mean, how did Jake Jarmel really have this all time down to the second. Like it really, he is able to corner Elaine on this when she should have been able to, you know, evade his line of questioning. Yeah. She blurts it out. So she's kind of stuck. Yeah. But, uh, and again, someone like George or Jerry would have had a much better answer, you know, right off, right off the bat. But it is true. Like Jarmel, like maybe he really does belong with the, with the Seinfeld, you know, the core four, because that's only something a sociopath would be worried about. Like, Oh, you, you didn't come straight here like you know you like he's wor- he's like knows the the sort of like that the movie theater like you have to walk past the manager to get to the concession stand mm-hmm. yeah he's really got this all plotted out you know it's that's like uh some really next level stuff by jake <laughs> jarmel so anyway then so jake jarmel is upset with elaine and ultimately he would like to be alone now I mean, the the breakup in the hospital room or, you know, the booting from the hospital room is really up there on the getting kicked out of a room. Yeah, that's big. If you get broken up by a person. I did. I have been kicked out of a hospital room, but like not by a not by my wife or a girlfriend. What, or by anything. a doctor? No, my I, when my mom, you know, she had like a couple of kids when I was like uh, like older already and I was playing with her bed and I like folded her up. Oh, and your mom said, <laughs> I was like playing with here? the button. Yeah. And she's like, ah, get out of here. <laughs> So we go to Jerry's apartment. All of a sudden, Jerry has new friends, and it's poker night. And Jerry is even Steven at the poker game. What is this, Louie? I was thinking, like, this is, I mean, again, to be fair, <laughs> I think Jerry came first. But, yeah, also, it's, like, disappointing. Like, oh, he should have all his comedian friends here. That's yeah, what wouldn't Louis you like to see more about Jerry with these comedian guys that are at his house? Like, these Yeah, random- this is a fascinating scene. I would want to see, like, a whole spinoff episode just on these. Who are these guys? I mean, Kramer wasn't even invited to the poker Maybe game. Kramer, like, they're nervous. Like, you don't want to, there's certain people, like, you don't want to play poker with them because, like, you're uncomfortable taking Kramer's money because he's not even going to pay anyway, first of all. Yeah, this is weirder than when Elaine had the poker game at her house. Yeah, I mean, nobody's bringing over, like, offensive gifts here, but it is, a little, it is probably strange. I, you're right. I could see Elaine playing poker before Jerry. All right, so we cut now to Regis and Kathy Lee, not Regis and Kelly, and Kramer is the guest on with uh, Regis and Kathy Lee, and he comes out, and boy, the crowd at Regis that day, they were eating out of the palm of Kramer's hand. The hot yeah, they may have audience. Like, served them alcohol before they before he came out. <laughs> I mean, this is like the most excited crowd that there's ever been. This is like on Ellen when she's like giving stuff away. That's how excited the crowd is for Kramer's coffee table book. 
Yeah, he doesn't even give everyone a coffee table book like Oprah gives. <laughs> yeah, everybody is so pumped up. And uh, Regis is pumped up. Regis ran into Kramer backstage, and he thinks that this guy seems like he's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, here comes Kramer, and he's got like an ascot. Uh, yeah, Kramer, I can't even, ex- you have to describe what Kramer's wearing. I, I can't even explain yeah. it. I mean, Kramer is sort of like adjacent to the puffy shirt on what he's wearing. And he's doing when he the- comes out, it's like, wow, is he wearing the puffy shirt? <laughs> yeah, and he's got like sort of like something tied around his neck and he's really fired up and everybody is loving him and they're loving the coffee table book. And then uh, it has turned into pictures of celebrities' coffee tables, which I feel like is a little bit of a different pitch than what Kramer had originally in what was that? what episode was that? The sub? It's not the subway. He was on the subway when he was talking about it, but uh, what was it? Where Elaine is getting the TV guides with Ricky? Oh, that's the Scar Store Indian. It's the same one. Oh, okay. Oh, that's it's all coming together. Poker chips, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Regis keeps uh, saying he says uses this word a number of times. He's like. I told you, this guy is Boncos. Yeah, he keeps calling him Boncos. <laughs> I do lo- I do miss the Reeg. I, 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 you know, I wasn't a fan of that show, which, which, by the way, if people don't know, you were on. Yes. Um, but yeah, I love the Reeg. I miss the Reeg. Um, the Chester of, of the 32 Fans in 32 Days podcast lives in Regis's building. Oh. <laughs> which probably means he's doing well, right? Yeah, I think so. Well, Regis is doing bad. It's not like Regis, because Regis has made, like, you know, they say he's been on TV the most of anybody in history, so... Regis has made like tens of millions of dollars. There's no way in that building. There's also like you know like studio apartments that are you know for five hundred dollars a month. Like probably guys not to be making serious bank. Yeah, although maybe Regis moved into a place and you know these people that want like once you hit like seventy, unless you're going like to sort of a nursing home, it's probably you're just sort of staying where you are. So I don't know if maybe it's yeah, but some Regis point. been on TV since you know for like sixty years. Yeah. I mean. But the money was even the same. if even if he like downsized, you know, people do that when their kids move out or whatever. Like, it's still got to be a even if it's like a two bedroom, it's still got to be really fancy, <laughs> probably. But anyway, so everything's going really good. Everybody's loving the coffee table book. The audience absolutely goes bonkos when he turns the coffee table in, or the book into an actual coffee table. Uh, they're going nuts, and then something unusual happens. Kramer drinks the coffee. And then spits it everywhere. And I guess it was that the coffee was hot. Or maybe it was cold. Maybe it was just there as a prop and he wasn't supposed to drink it. Or did the coffee taste bad? I feel like they really did not explore what went on they with the coffee They should have explained here. that. There should have been a tie in there. And also, like, he should have been kicked off the set for making out with Kathy Lee, who was married to right. oh, yeah. Frank Gifford. I mean, really uh, very insensitive to Frank Gifford here. Uh, that, yeah. that, I mean, he kisses Kathy Lee on the mouth when he comes out. Yeah, I won't. I, I, I'm not even going to say my joke because it's too soon. Because okay. it's almost implausible here with the coffee that the coffee was hot. I mean, that almost doesn't make any sense in the world. I'm sure that studio is very cold to film the TV show. It's not like that. It's it's impossible to keep coffee hot when you're just sitting at a table. I mean, we didn't see like Gelman come out and uh, pour some hot coffee right before Kramer sat down. So there's no way that that coffee is hot enough that Kramer spits it out. The only thing that makes sense is maybe if he accidentally drank Regis's coffee and Regis's coffee cup is filled with booze. That's brilliant. I was just because I was thinking like, oh, a PA filled that coffee cup a half hour ago. Like maybe they didn't film. Maybe it was before they filmed the scene. They could have been, you know, the coffee cups could have all been out there since when they start the show and talk about the news. 
Um, and, by the way, how about the set in the background? That's like a you know the set of that show is pretty impressive. It was impressive set, like a living room with the steps going up. No <laughs> joke there. Yeah, yeah. But I, I like your theory that maybe he drank. Re- I mean, can you imagine like Regis is drinking you know coffee mixed with some you know hard alcohol at, at you know eight in the morning every morning yeah. for, for fifty years. I like that idea. I mean, you could imagine it. It's not outside the realm oh, yeah. of possibility. It's like an oh, old listen, school guy. Kathy Lee now moved like two hours later, and that's all she does, right? Isn't isn't that what her show's famous for? They just drink. Yeah, they drink in wine. Yeah. So Kramer, he reaches down, he takes uh, Regis's cup, and he's not expecting it to be filled with like bourbon, and that's why he spits it out. Yeah, but Kramer, I feel like Kramer would have liked if it was bourbon. Hmm. He likes Hennigans. I guess if you're not expecting bourbon, then that's a tough. If you're thing expecting to coffee and you get bourbon, yeah. Because there's no way it was coffee was hot. It doesn't make sense if he's spitting it out because it's cold. I mean, it could be the worst coffee in the world. It, I mean, that's possible. All right, you've sold me. This is now the first question we have to ask. Okay. But, but you do live in L.A., so if for whatever reason, you've never run into Michael Richards, have you? No, I have not. Okay. But if you do, oh, it would be great if you could ask him this question. That'll be the first question we ask him. So yeah. I did not think that the show did a good job of explaining why he spits the coffee out and spits it all over everybody, but... Regis and Kathy Lee are both very insulted. They go to a commercial. All right, so Jerry and Elaine are talking in Jerry's apartment, and Elaine is explaining how Jake Jarmel, the whole thing, it's over. And Jerry wants to know why didn't Elaine eat the Juji fruits in the cab? She says that she also got popcorn, which is also a little bit did not see Elaine uh, getting the popcorn. She would have had to like she got the Juji fruits, she paid, and then I guess when we weren't looking, she also said, "Oh, can I get popcorn also?" How quickly did she eat that popcorn? That's impressive. Yeah, that's a big bag of popcorn in the movies. Anyway, and we start to explore the Jerry always breaks even thing. Elaine says, give me 20 bucks, and she throws it out the window. Yeah, I mean, I would be furious. (laughs) Yeah, and Elaine is testing the even Steven theory. I like the line that Jerry says to her, you could have thrown a pencil out the window and seen if I got the pencil back. Yeah, that's true. So... Here we go that George comes in and George, he just found $20. Now, if this was a real sitcom, if this was like two broke girls, Jerry would have just gone over and yoinked the 20 out of George's hand and not explained why he did it. Well, in the deleted scenes, Jerry does try to argue with George for a minute that that was his yeah. 20 and Elaine threw it out the window. And George is like, come on, people don't throw money out the window. Yeah, and I know so George is at this point still unemployed. So how do you take the $20 away from him? Yeah, so George is starting to be on cloud nine. Though. The opposite thing, it's working, baby. He's on fire. Yeah, but if, instead of cloud nine, shouldn't it be like, I don't know, what's the opposite of that? <laughs> nine feet under? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so George is doing great. This is his new religion. He has an interview with the New York Yankees. By the way, you know, we haven't really established much that... that um you know, we know Kramer's a Yankee fan, that George is a Yankee fan instead of a Met fan, because the, the Nebisha character should be a Met fan, I think. Hmm. Right. And, you know, he, we do, we, he does, uh, you know, get involved with the Mets later in the series. But I think it's also like, I don't know if you had this when you were a kid. Maybe you couldn't be too choosy. But like when I was a little kid, I would never have had a best friend who was uh, not a Met fan. Like Jerry was a Met fan and George is a Yankee fan and they were still best friends when they were little kids. Like <laughs> what they bond over? I'm not exactly sure. I mean, they weren't friends when they were little kids. I mean, they were seemingly friends when they were in high school. And, you know, Larry David is probably the Yankee fan in the group. And George is supposed to be more of the Larry David, um, you know, if not doppelganger, then proxy. And so I think that I'm not going to uh, 
out of all the things that we've talked about, even in this episode, <laughs> I feel like okay. that's pretty plausible. Okay, fine. So George is going to have an interview with the Yankees. So we see Kramer meet with Mr. Lippman and they're appending. I feel like that ultimately this scene doesn't really need to be in there, but Mr. Lippman is sick. I guess it's sort of establishing that Mr. Lippman still has a cold and he's telling Kramer no more media appearances for Kramer. Now you're a media savvy guy and you're a student of the, you know, of the whatever decade this is and the social media era. If Kramer goes on Regison and Kathy Lee now, and this happens, he becomes like a viral sensation, right? Like, look, this guy spat his coffee out on the hosts. Right. It's like, it might not be, you know, have millions of YouTube hits, but it's probably their most watched video of the right. month or something You go like on that. Facebook and there's like a man promotes coffee table book to Regis. You won't believe what happens next. Right. And then you're kind of underwhelmed because you're like, oh, what else happens? But it's still funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he would have 50 more media appearances. Yeah, then, I think so. After that, he would people would be calling him left and right. That then you want that guy. This would be huge. I think you're right. And so Kramer's coffee table book would be a much bigger deal now. Well, he would they wouldn't have canceled his media tour just because something, you know, like he's now the bad boy of the coffee table book world. <laughs> yeah. He did it. I like it we said so he says don't cancel Sonya live when Littman tells him he's canceling all his press. Yeah. And had you ever heard of Sonya Live? No, I've never heard of Sonya Live. So she's like a psychiatrist or a psychologist who did like uh, shows on CNN. She doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. This is maybe the most obscure reference of the whole series. Wow. Sonya Friedman, no Wikipedia page. Okay. So uh, no Sonya Live for Kramer. Uh, we end up seeing George at his uh, job interview. Uh, am I, uh, I just want to make sure. I did, am I, did I skip anything? Uh, the only thing you kind of skipped was that Jerry finds the second 20. I don't think you said that. Oh, okay. So we go see George on his job interview at Yankee Stadium, and he is talking about his previous employment. And I think feel like he's skipping some jobs here. Uh, he leaves out everything that was going on at Penske, right? Yeah. I mean, he, was he ever? Yeah. I would, what about the job that he, you know, he showed up to, but he didn't even, uh, he did, wasn't really employed there. Yeah. So he ends up just talking about how at his last job that he had got fired for having sex with the cleaning lady. Uh, he also mentions about how he got fired for trying to use his boss's private bathroom. But doesn't even mention slipping the Mickey as part of it. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, his, whoever's interviewing him seems very impressed with him and says, boy, you're the opposite of everybody else we've ever had in here. Yeah, but does he have a choice? Like, this is his uh, beloved niece's uh, boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And she's, like, crazy about him at this point. Like, what can George do here to not get the job? I think it's... And it's the assistant to the traveling secretary. They're not naming him general manager. So I think George has got this job locked up from the minute he walks in. Yeah, so he ends up going to meet George Steinbrenner. For the first time in Seinfeld history, we see George Steinbrenner, or at least we see the silhouette of George Steinbrenner. And George has a great monologue that he says, nice to meet him. And George basically tells him, I wish I could tell you the same but with all due respect. He tells us it's very hard to see the logic behind a lot of the moves you made. And you've caused myself and the city of New York a lot of distress. And you took our beloved Yankees and reduced them into a laughing stock for the glorification of your massive ego. And George Steinbrenner says, hire this man. Yeah, Larry hasn't totally figured out the voice yet, but it's a really great monologue. Um, you know, it's shades of when uh, in a later season when Frank, tell, you know, yells at him for trading Jay Buhner. Yeah, it's really great. And so welcome aboard George Steinbrenner to the Seinfeld podcast. 
And we'll, I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun with George Steinbrenner. So in the inside look, George Steinbrenner himself actually appears and talks about how the genesis of him being on the show was that they he had to sign off on them being able to do this. Yeah, I mean, it's very tricky with the rights and stuff because they're using the real Yankees. Like, I guess you could use the logo, but it is sort of, you know, this show is sort of like entering a real world. And I don't know how it works with that stuff. But yeah, they're using a real person. It's kind of shocking he signs off on it. You know, he's in a weird place. Uh, this is right before they get good again. I don't know. Maybe he's just looking for like a little publicity. But it's interesting that he's there. But if they had ended up using uh, Steinbrenner himself, which was an option, it ends up ruining the character because, you know, you're on the whims of George Steinbrenner's schedule instead of just having Larry do the voice without seeing the face. Yeah. I mean, and this is what, May of 1994? I mean, when does George Steinbrenner even come back to baseball? I mean, he's suspended for, what, like a year and a half, like in the early 90s? Yeah, no, he had been come back. He was, it's hard to, like, uh, you know, he was sort of this uh, persona non grata for a while. Working his way back up. He was accused of some, like, not, you know, horrible real-world things, but horrible from, like, a baseball standpoint. Yeah, what did he do? I think he hired a private investigator to find out, like, what Dave Winfield did to get out of the <laughs> to yeah. get out of the contract. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because he signed a 10-year contract in, in 1980, which was, like, uh, you know, exorbitant for that, for that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, he got reinstated in 93. But then he's about to have a lot of free time, George Steinbrenner, because the strike is going to happen right after the season. Yeah. Strike is looming. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, we'll see what's going to happen more in the uh, 1995 season as we, uh, as we go along. So we go back to Elaine at Pendant Publishing. And here comes Elaine's old roommate, Tina. Here's a blast from the past. I do. You know, this is also the season finale. So I like that they're like tying up some long term, you know, loose ends, barely loose, but. I like that there's a lot of callbacks in this episode. And it turned out that Elaine had been subletting the apartment from from Tina, I guess, who owned the apartment. And so, or maybe her name was on the lease and then she was just like uh, subletting it to Elaine. Yeah, her name's on the lease because they're not going to, they can't kick out uh, the tenant real. That would, it's very hard to kick out the owner. Like the owner could do whatever they want, I think. So we end up having Elaine's getting kicked out. Why that? It seems like this is sort of a fugazi list of violations that they come up with that Elaine let in a jewel thief on Thanksgiving uh, and then Elaine let Jehovah's Witnesses in the building and she used uh, Canadian quarters in the washing machine. What's wrong with Canadian quarters? Well, according to the deleted scene, Elaine argues uh, that they look the same, but Tina says that they're not worth as much as regular quarters, American quarters. I think nowadays they might be worth more. I'm not even sure. I don't know, but it seems like... Sort of just some thro- tacked-in reasons of why Elaine is being kicked out of her apartment. Yeah, they're retconning the whole situation here. Yeah. All right. So Elaine, in the deleted scene, is also like very mean to Tina. She's just like, uh, "Please get out of my office. Please get out." She's like very shrill to her. Yeah, we don't see that side of Elaine much, so I guess that's one of the reasons why they cut it. Also, there's a lot. There's a lot of scenes in this episode. There's a lot of fat kind of cut, but I, I do, you know, and this is it for Tina. But I do like seeing her again. Here. Yeah. But that scene that got cut from the deleted scenes, it's like not even comical. It's like Elaine is just like having like a breakdown of like, like, please get out of my office. Please get out of my office. We've seen them try a lot of things like that's a common thread in the deleted scenes. Like they film stuff. It doesn't work, you know, because on the page, maybe it's funny. But when they film it, it's not funny. And then, you know, it gets cut. Okay, And that's just the stuff we see. Like they may have, you know, done like a half hour to cut down 22 minutes a lot of weeks. Jerry's in Monks. He is back with Rachel. 
who we saw from last week uh, with the Hamptons. Uh, Jerry and her have worked things out after uh, the throwing a tomato at George incident, but she does not seem to love Jerry and sort of his inane uh, thoughts about the perks of being a in a homosexual relationship with someone of a similar size to you. Yeah, it is. It's like a famous bit, really, that Jerry does. But Rachel's not interested. And it's amazing they're still together after the disaster at the Hamptons last week. Yeah. And while it certainly does on paper make a lot of sense that it would be great to double your wardrobe, uh, when Jerry says that it's probably uh, one of the first things that they mention when they approach a new recruit, uh, that would probably not fly in 2015. <laughs> no, no. The second half, they'd probably have to cut out. Yeah, probably, uh, you know, started off in a good place. But then when he starts talking about recruitment, uh, that's no good. So yeah, not a good. Don't do that bit with Obama next week, Jerry. Right. Rachel, at that point, probably appropriately says, you know, what? I think I'm going to get out of here. I don't I think, you think that it. line was it. I don't think so. You think she's like 15 years ahead of time. I don't know. <laughs> it is funny that Rachel is like, hey, Jerry, you know, I just don't think it's going to work out. And Jerry's like, OK, that's fine. And he realizes that as even Steven, I'll meet somebody else. I think they're really no selling the Rachel character here. Like they don't like her or something. Yeah. So she's gone. She put up a fight in the Hamptons episode. She wants to be more of the episode. They're like, ah, we're getting rid of this lady. Jerry leaves and he's sort of like whistling to himself. uh, She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. Now we don't see Jerry pick up another woman in the episode. I kind of feel like we should, if he is even Steven. Yeah. We should like randomly see him with some beautiful lady who doesn't even speak in the background. We do see him meet somebody in the deleted scenes. But again, yeah. we are still without the answer to the question, are deleted scenes canon? Yeah. And there's so much going on in this episode. That's why there's so much that's deleted. Also, like it, there's more scenes than almost any episode so far. And there's, you know, they're trying to balance like these even kind of storylines. Um, uh, but and, and my my theory that they hated the actress and that's why they're writing her out doesn't really work. You know, this is a three episode relationship, which is, you know, long for Jerry at this point. Unheard of. Be- because uh, L.D., in the season finale of season one of Curb, uh, he meets an ex-girlfriend of his uh, who uh, Cheryl is very jealous of, and it is uh, this lady, Rachel. Yeah, there you go. So uh, she was an LD favorite. Maybe Jerry didn't like her. Maybe. Maybe Jerry hated her, but Larry had a soft spot for her. (laughs) So big news that George is going to be working for the New York Yankees. I really love that Jerry is sort of like Ruth Gehrig, DiMaggio, Mantle, Costanza. Yep. And also love that Jeter's not in there. He's not in there. Yeah, Jeter will show up. No, Jeter shows up in the, in the, in the series. But because if you did that now, you'd, you'd take out maybe, uh, I don't know who you take out. Maybe you just add a name and you put in Jeter, you know, or maybe even Rivera. But I, I, I like that he's not in there because I'm anti-Jeter. <laughs> okay. Do you think you would take one of those names out or does it now become Ruth, Well, Gary, no, I mean, Jeter might be more iconic. He's not even a fourth as good of a... Uh, a play, you know, he's closer to Costanza in baseball <laughs> ability than to man, than to Mantle or Ruth. But if the line was written today, is the line Ruth Gehrig, DiMaggio, Mantle, Jeter, Rivera, Costanza, or yeah, you are, take out Gehrig because he's the same era as Ruth? They played together. Uh, so you just be, say you just say Ruth, DiMaggio, Mantle, Jeter, Jeter, and so Mariano doesn't even make it. Well, they're the same era. I mean, Jeter's more famous than Mariano, so the joke works better. So I, I'm, you know, I'm pro Mariano all the way. You basically have to do like a Mount Rushmore. The limit is four, and it has to be of different eras. 
Well, even to do five in the joke, which they do, is like one more than maybe a comedy writer would normally do. But yeah, I think I, I think you do a Mount Rushmore. So the Mount Rushmore. But if the Yankees had a real Mount Rushmore at Yankee Stadium, yeah. first of all, they probably will when they hear this idea. Well, who were the Yankees franchise for when MLB, they actually did this? Yeah, but they did, that's right. But they didn't pick them, I don't think. Yeah. All right. So the franchise four for the Yankees, do you want to guess? Uh, I, I'm going to guess. It's uh, Whitey Ford. <laughs> no, I mean, it's going oh, to be four of these five guys. Okay. So the question is, who's not on there? I don't remember who it was. I'm going to say uh, that Gehrig is not on the franchise four. The franchise four, Jerry had it. It is. Oh, no, no I'm sorry, because I'm thinking of Costanza's number five. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Ruth Gehrig. That makes sense. Excuse me. Ruth Gehrig, DiMaggio, Mantle, franchise four. Yeah. So Jeter really uh, left off. The Mets franchise four is like uh, like Don Ossie. <laughs> Kirk Wendell. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember what it was that. It's probably like Hernandez, Seaver, Piazza, and like someone pathetic. David Wright. Yeah. Oh, Wright was in the... Oh, come on. Franchise four. He's like the 24th best third baseman in baseball now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's the Mets franchise four. Okay. So back to what's going on in Jerry's apartment. And so uh, he's moving out of his parents' house, and Jerry says, don't get too excited. Things have a way of evening out. Like, Jerry is almost like trying to feel like, well, everybody is going to be even Steven. Jerry's such a narcissist that in his world, it, it like, like, even when he says, like, Elaine is down now and George is up, like, his world just revolves around him. So it's like, oh, yeah, my friend is up and my other friend is down. He's only viewing it through the je- prism of Jerry. Right. And Elaine, she is there now as well, and she's getting kicked out of her apartment because of the jewel thief. She has to be out by the end of the month. And George says to her, well, you could move in with my parents. And she grabs his face. It's really funny. And she says, was that the opposite of what you were going to say or the instinct? Uh, and he said, uh, instinct. She says, uh, stick with the opposite. <laughs> yeah, I really love the face smush here. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Anytime that Elaine is physically violent with George, it's always great. Yes. All right. And that, this is when Jerry explains that, like, look, I had one friend who was up here and you were down here. And now it's all uh, going the other way. And it's all evening out for Jerry. He's like Chester naming himself the number three podcast. <laughs> so Mr. Lipman is getting ready to meet with uh, Matsushita and that he does not have his handkerchief. Elaine is eating all the jujubes. She can't tell Mr. Lipman, hey, your handkerchief. Mr. Lipman is sneezing. And then... He is going to go meet with uh, Mr. Uh, Matsushita, and he tries to, uh, Matsushita tries to shake Lipman's hand. Lipman declines because he is going to sneeze. Now, wouldn't the move for Lipman to be one, wearing one of those gas masks? I don't, was that as in, were those as in vogue then as they are now? I'm not sure, but I do feel like, uh, I see, I feel like uh, in a lot of these Asian countries, I feel like that, you you know, people like they just like walk around with that. Like, oh, I'm sick. I'm going to wear a, a one of these gas masks. Yeah. I don't know if they're a gas mask, but yeah, they have like the blue uh, whatever thing. it's called. Surgical mask, surgical mask. Yeah. 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 My mother-in-law is always wearing one. I'm yeah. I sure. feel like that's the polite thing to do is to wear the yeah. surgical mask. Yeah. I can't imagine a scenario where I would willingly put one of those on. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm happy anytime I can. Sorry, wear everyone else. You're getting sick. Yeah. Now, I had gone to the doctor's office uh, a couple of weeks ago because I had a cough, and uh, they tell me, like, oh, there's a lot of stuff going around. You should wear one of these surgical masks while you're here. Yeah, that's, see, that's, you should wear the surgical mask 
and then go to a restaurant and say, hey, I'm single, bald, unemployed, and I live with my parents. <laughs> that would help? That would be the opposite? Oh, yeah. That's really the opposite of what you're doing. Okay. So Matsushita is very insulted. Lipman does not shake his hand. I mean, this scene, I, I love this episode, but this scene is uh, like, uh, it's a little questionable. <laughs> a little bit. What is the big problem for you? It's like, well, first of all, we're assuming the Japanese people are a bunch of idiots here. Mm-hmm. You know, that like uh, that they can't they can't work out this very simple understanding. And I understand there's cultural differences. Maybe it is offensive, but it's like, uh, I don't know. I guess it's I mean, they, they did build up to it. So mm-hmm. why do you like the scene more than me here? I wouldn't say that I'm against the scene as much as you are. OK, I'm not pro the scene. I'm sort of agnostic. OK, doesn't it doesn't bother me too much. No, it's, it's fine. It's I'm you know. I don't know if it holds up as well as the first time. George is with his parents. He is moving out and his parents can't believe it's really happening. Uh, Don't get in trouble with the Yankees. Uh, He is being lectured. And Estelle is very odd in this scene. She's like, Jerry, did you hear this? Did you hear what happened? Like, uh, (laughs) she's really in disbelief, but uh, but not in like a proud way. She seems like very concerned. Yeah, that's true. And right, because they don't think like. They're conditioned to knowing that George is a loser and they assume he's going to be back there in like two days. Mm-hmm. But also it's like they need to have her say something because they're like paying the actress to be here. So, yeah. And so George tells his parents, I just wanted to let you both know how much I love you. And uh, Jerry has a good line. says, like, yeah, opposite. So, yeah, that's a little a nice line snuck in there. It's funny. So back at the coffee shop, here comes Elaine. She's like totally disheveled. And uh, she's explaining how now the whole Lipman pendant publishing thing has gone kaput. And now uh, Matsushita, they're not going to publish Kramer's coffee table book. And she is really just looking like uh, really down and out compared to where she started the episode. Yeah. And, and you know, pendant is done. We, uh, we, we start with Mr. Pitt in the, uh, in the next scene, next season. So then here comes George and he's like wearing almost like a Steinbrenner-esque like blazer and khaki outfit. And uh, he's coming in and now he is, uh, the, you know, what, what would you call him? Big Maka? I don't know what that is. Oh, a Macher, you mean? Is that right? Is that right? Oh boy. Yeah, Macher. <laughs> <laughs> am, I, am I using it right? No, you're using it properly. <laughs> I mean, I, that's a fun, like I didn't even know that word made it into the le- there's a lot of Yiddish words that are really in vogue now. Right? Yeah, yeah. And also, I don't know Yiddish any more than like most people. So, I don't know. <laughs> so here he is, and uh, that he is basically now. It feels like this is not opposite George. This feels like regular smug George. Well, he's sneaking. Listen, we're not going to have you know this George forever. So he's already like you know heading back to his old habits. Yeah, and he's talking about like what a beautiful day for a ball game. Let's play two, and uh, he's going to have his usual. And he's telling about how that he has had a nice conversation with the manager of the Florida Marlins, Don Mattingly. Oh, boy. Miami Marlins. Donnie Baseball. <laughs> I, like, do you get fired if you just go over to Mattingly and speak to him the first day? <laughs> no, I don't think so. On the Marlins? I mean, I'm sure David Sampson no, no, is. No, no, no. Like, I'm saying if you're like a, like a lowly employee. Like, when I worked at NBC, like, I would, like, go out of my way. Like, if, if one of the guys started a conversation with me, I would engage. But I know that people, they spend their whole lives like I wouldn't be like, hey, Costas, you know, let's talk about who's going to win the Jet game later. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like, do you get do you get like if you went over to A-Rod, he probably has like he probably gets you fired for talking. <laughs> no, he was- Jeter for sure. My favorite sort of story like that. Um, my cousin works for my wife's cousin works for um, Facebook. OK. And so his mom comes to visit him. 
And she's so like proud of her son. He's like a manager. He manages like 80 people at Facebook. He's been there for, you know, a couple of years and he's, you know, he's a kid and he's already like, you know, all successful. And she's on campus with him on the, on the Facebook campus and she sees Zuckerberg. Okay. And she says, I'm going to go over him and I'm going to thank him. And she's like, no, no, you don't just like walk over. I mean, you can. I mean, he's a nice guy, but you don't just like walk over to Zuckerberg and talk to him. And say, know? hey, I posted that thing on my wall. Where's my money? <laughs> and that's right. That's right. You, by the way, people should do that. That would be funny. <laughs> but um, I think, uh, you know, so she's like, no, no, no I'm going to go over there. I want to thank him for like employing my son. He's like, no, mom, you don't walk over to Mark Zuckerberg and, uh, you know, and bother him. Like the best thing you could do is just leave him alone. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And what happened? But that's just like such a funny like mom thing that you're going to like. I'm going to go over to, you know, uh, Mr. Jobs and, uh, you know, I'm going to tell him that, uh, you know, thanks for employing me at Apple all these years. Well, there's no limit to the intersection of mom stories and awkward Facebook stories. That's true. That's true. And I do like the idea like a mom is like, oh, we're on the same level. Like I'm your mom. He's your boss. Like I could, you know, who cares that he's, you know, like the fourth richest person on earth. I'm (laughs) going to go for it. Like we're equals. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, he probably would have been fine. He would have been like, oh, that's really funny. (laughs) <laughs> like she's she's compelling like she might have actually gotten a job there if she walked over there now akiva i really have enjoyed this episode but i do think that this is one of these with a really soft ending where the check comes and kramer says to jerry hey uh you're paying too much mine is more than yours is and jerry says ah let's call it even credits so weak yeah really one of the weaker endings that we ever have like i just feel like that this episode is like missing one scene i feel like it's at such a high level great 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 and i think it's just sort of like yeah we don't have anything but how do you end it because it's not as like the hamptons i feel like we really solved it we just cut out the last couple scenes like where do you end this it's very tricky well this is sort of the start of season six so it's really setting forth these events which go into everything that's like a backdoor pilot for season six. Yeah, it kind of is. So I wonder if there's somebody where if you, I mean, you have everything going on with Jerry, even Steven, and we don't see him meeting a woman. What if some like beautiful woman just walks up and, and like, you know, they immediately like it makes clear that like that's his new girlfriend. She sits down and he, and he turns to the camera. He's like, even Steven, that's better than them splitting a bill. Mm, yeah. I think that would probably be better. What about if George saying, oh, do you really love them? And George says, no, opposite with the with the stanzas. Hmm. That's a better way to go out and just cut this whole last scene. Yeah. Because who cares that Penn Publishing is finishing? We'll find that, you know, let Elaine say that in the first season of first scene of next season. Yeah. No, I like that. That's probably a better way to go. Sort of like rearrange yeah, the solved, clips. We solved this whole when we, you know, if they ever like make television shows like 25 minutes, we've figured out where to cut all the fat in these Seinfeld episodes. You know what? I, as much as I thought it was a funny scene, why not have Elaine move in with George's parents? It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's too out there. I mean, what if it was like for two days and it's clear, but like that would be really funny. That would be funny. She just needs, she needs a place to, she hasn't found anywhere. We you'd sooner live on the street than live with George's parents. And why wouldn't Jerry let her come in for two days? Uh, because that he didn't break, because one of these new, even Steven women is there. He's he just, he's got a hot, uh, a hot date. Wouldn't you rather live in Kramer's disgusting apartment than at the Costanza's house? Uh, maybe Kramer's mad at her because for the book deal falling through. That's true. I mean, Tina, you can't live on <laughs> Tina's couch. It's almost like we, we've write, written like a whole another episode there. But I'm sure you could come up with some reason why Elaine has to stay with the Seinfelds. Yeah, but definitely the ending week. Uh, we're not going to kill. I'm not going to kill it on my ranking just for the week ending because 
Yeah. Uh, you know, we didn't kill the Hamptons last week. This is weaker than that, though. Yeah. All right. So Jerry is talking about how the coffee is a drink that has a lot of accessories of coffee table, coffee cake. Uh, but alcohol doesn't have a lot of accessories. Again, maybe this is a little bit of a subtle wink to what was going on with Regis's cup and uh, how it was filled with bourbon and uh, alcohol. You lose things, your family, your home, driver's license. And at a certain point, you just have to remember to get more alcohol. So it's more of sad than funny, I feel like. Yeah, it's, it's funny, but I mean, it's not so funny, but it's like accurate. All right, Akiva, let's give everybody a letter grade for this episode. George, star of the show tonight. Yeah, I, one one minor note also. It's the last Tom Chironis directed uh, every episode basically thus far, except for a couple. And uh, this is the last one he directs. OK, wow. Um, so, oh, yeah, George's grade. Um, the I mean, the George stuff is him. Get, I mean, it's such a, like an iconic part of the show, him getting a job with the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, the Victoria stuff is funny. You know, the, the the female actress, like they don't give her enough meat to deal with it. But I, I, him being opposite is so classic. Got to give it an A. It's almost flawless. Yeah. Yeah. A's across the board uh, for George. And then I feel like Elaine has the second biggest story with her fall from grace. Yeah, and one interesting thing about this episode, because it is really a brilliant episode, um, and then it's like the question of where for us to like, uh, when we're micromanaging and judging all these things on such a, like a small uh, level, is like when you first see this stuff, it's all gold. Like, you know, some of the stuff on like the Kramer stuff later, like on rewatch, you know what's coming, so maybe it's a little less funny, but like the idea of Elaine stopping to get Juji Fruits when he's in the hospital is really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to give Elaine an A here. Oh, an A for Elaine. I mean, this is the opposite. This is like a, you know, a, a gold standard episode where, uh, yeah. you know, I'm not giving out A's all across the board. But Okay, I'll give it also, a B. Also, I don't B. want Elaine to yell at me. Remember my rule. Give everyone an A and the parents don't call you up. <laughs> I'll give it a B. What about Kramer? He really only has the scene on Regis and Captain yeah, Lee. he has very little going on. But the first time you see that scene, the audience is going so crazy. I, I just remember like crying. It was so funny. Yeah. Now he has. It doesn't hold up as well as I remembered, but I'm still giving him an A. He does a lot with a little there. I'll give him an A. And what about Jerry with Even Steven? Yeah, so the Even Steven is more uh, like the center of the episode, but doesn't really. There's no like hilarious point. I think when she throws out the twenty the first time you see it, that's really funny. Also, so I'm going to give him a B plus. Um, you know, there's nothing. There's no like bad part to it really. The Rachel scene uh, doesn't have the same. You know, there's a similar scene in a couple seasons uh in in the um season premiere where it's a very similar breakup to the breakup with janine garofalo right right Right. very similar so they do it a little better there we're like uh you know it's mute they both mutually agree to break up so they do a little better there but i'll I'll jerry b plus yeah i feel like it's probably more of a b minus for me just because i feel like there's not really a great payoff with the even steven but um it's fine. Very, very serviceable. Uh, overall, just a, a really great episode. One other minor nitpick, and it's really not so much for this episode, but it kind of is the same plot as in a future season. And I don't remember the name of the episode off the top of my head when George stops having sex uh, and he gets smarter and Elaine stops having sex and she gets dumber. And it's basically almost like the same idea where Elaine and George have like some sort of like inverse E.T. Elliot relationship where if one prospers, the other does worse. And yeah, um, they go, they do. That's the abstinence. And they do go to that. Well, similarly. And, and it's funny because that's also kind of like a classic great episode. 
But um, I I agree. There are it is the sort of the same feel, but you can't you can't knock the opposite. No, to it, what they did a few seasons later. Right, right. If so, we could knock the abstinence in a few seasons. Well, well, I'm sure we'll talk about that when we get there. But we'll um, probably forget. We forget. <laughs> we forget stuff. Okay, that's what we have you guys to email us about. But first, uh, Kiva, what's your ranking in this? Does this make the top ten? It, it does make the top nine. Uh, it's not going to be number one. That's the only little spoiler I'll get. But uh, to me. It it holds up a little bit worse than I remembered watching it for the zillionth time, but there's so many great things in there. To me, the fire, the Hamptons, and the opposite, the last three episodes of season five, hard to really top that in a stretch, even if you just think the fire was a slightly above average. Did all episode. three make the top nine? No, no, no. The fire didn't come close to the top okay. ten, but the fi- fire was definitely an above average episode. It would. Someone did uh, write in an email like months ago saying, what's the best three episode stretch? during whatever the three-episode stretch was then. But uh, it, we'll, we'll be on the lookout for it, but it'll be hard to top this one. Okay, let's get into your emails. Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps is the email address. And uh, why don't we start off with uh, Johnny Silvera, And he wants to know, have you ever tried doing the opposite move to impress a girl? Oh, boy. Uh, no, I don't. Have you? No, I cannot say that I... Oh, we probably should. We should try that this week and let, let everyone know how, how it works. <laughs> I'll do, sometimes I'll do the opposite with my wife. I try to really like, throw her off and do the opposite of what she expects. Really, uh, really throws her for a loop. I do think in general, it, like, when someone is accustomed to your behavior, it's very hard to like, break out of that cycle where it's like, Oh, you didn't notice I've been doing, you know, I parted my hair differently or I did this. Like they just see the same old you. Like, but she gets very suspicious. Like, why are you doing that? Why are you yeah, doing You true. always do this. Why are you doing this now? Like, I'm that's just, true. I'm just doing something like, no, you're not. You're up to something. What is it? It's very hard. Like first, like we've already made our first and billionth impression. Like it's very hard to sort of like do a 180 and, and, you know, change everything we're doing. Like it might not even go noticed or, or as you said, like there'll be. They'll assume there's ulterior motives. Johnny DeSevere also wasn't, was Kathy Lee okay with Michael Richards kissing her like that for the scene? Considering Regis's reaction and the line production didn't cut for him, I have my doubts. Now, do you think that, did Michael Richards go off script here and kiss Kathy Lee on the mouth? I mean, Kathy Lee is not an actress. I mean, she's a married woman. Was she okay with that? Do you think there was any sort of foul play? We know that Michael Richards is sort of known for just like going for a, you know, big move in a scene. Yeah, it's funny because the kiss isn't addressed ever, right? Mm -hmm. So we do have a little bit of a conspiracy theory here. But I I think, uh, you know, Kathy Lee at this point is a big star. Like she, you know, could stand up to, she doesn't need the money from this scene. You know, she could stand up to Kramer here and say she's not cool with it. Uh, and married people kiss each other in movies all the time. So I don't know if, you know, if that would be uh, really a deal breaker for her. I don't know if Frank loved it, but who knows? But she's not an actress. I think that sort of comes with the territory. I, but she's in the entertainment world. Everything is phony. And I don't know. It's all pretend. Yeah. You know, I've gotten into like big fights with my wife in terms of like that. She that she's told me that I'm not allowed to kiss anybody in like and you know before i was doing well, podcasting why, why would this even like you've never you don't you're an actor like no, I mean, well I, that, before i was in podcasts or doing podcasts like i was in, be like uh like directing like web series and occasionally like i would have like to do like a small a small part but she like let me know like that was never gonna fly i wasn't ever allowed to to kiss anybody that was like a major crazy. major deal breaker for her i actually think my wife would not care at all yeah no that even though my wife does not like me very much she also She's is very like possessive very possessive right it's, it's weird yeah i'm not i don't get the possessive it's weird it's almost like yeah, like that could, that other person could have me 
Right. It's like I have this thing that I don't even like, but nobody else is allowed to touch it. Right. It's like an old bicycle. <laughs> but no, no, don't even nobody's allowed to sit near that bicycle. No, no. But I'm not riding That's very it. Very funny. Right. Okay. But if if you said like the director, let's say you're on a big, a big, you know, they make the score into a big movie, right. and you star as yourself, and like, like, okay, the director said he'll throw me because that's what they do, right? They they offer them like extra money. They want like a uh, someone to do like a nude scene or something. They'd be like, all right, the director said like he'll give me an extra fifty grand to kiss this person, and yeah. then you're like, nope, my wife, it's in my contract, ironclad. My wife said can't do it. She would still put her foot down and say no, but I would still tell them I would do it for fifty grand. She'd say no to kiss some stranger who like. You know, would you know what? Paid or wouldn't be interested in you two seconds this, after the scene. This hasn't come up recently that she might have. She might relax her. Uh, well, pod, if you had to kiss someone for a podcast, I would be suspicious. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if it comes up in the future. All right, uh, Dan, our our benefactor, Dan, uh, who has been tracking the minutes that we've gone over an hour and ten minutes, and when, once again we've passed that milestone. Uh, Dan writes in to say this episode is such a perfect George episode I wanted to check and see if Jason Alexander won the Emmy for it it turns out that he was beaten out by Michael Richards the Emmy voters were comparing Jason Alexander in the Hamptons and the opposite versus Michael Richards in the sniffing accountant and the opposite so well, which one did Michael Richards win the uh, Emmy for he won the, he couldn't possibly have won the Emmy for this episode right well, they just submit one episode. So they're probably just submitting like this scene. But really, you're winning it as a season achievement, even though the Emmys are kind of wacky, you yeah. know, and, and they're giving it to you for um, they submit uh, an episode. Yeah, I think. Okay. But no, I don't even think they submit an episode. They may they may give them a scene, but but uh, the the writers get it for an episode. The actors just get it for the season. OK, so then on top of that. Then uh, Dan says that you guys have analyzed Seinfeld in these particular episodes much more than whoever votes in the Emmys. What do you think? Did the Emmy voters make the right choice or should they have gone with the opposite? Well, we'd also have to analyze the other episodes from the other television shows that they're going up against. Jason Alexander should win all the Emmys. Yeah. And by the way, that would be a funny podcast. For not, we're not going to do it. But like a between season podcast, like what are the four other episodes that were up against this this you know, uh, is that it? And then we give out our Emmy at the end. Yeah. Do you want to do that before we look? Do you want to do that? Uh, I probably don't, but let's see what the shows they are. I mean, you don't have to watch them. I could watch. Okay. Them. So 1994, uh, best supporting actor nominees uh, for a television Emmy. Cause I'm getting Tommy Lee Jones, uh, for that. All right. Primetime Emmy awards for outstanding supporting actor in a comedy series in oh, the nineties. Okay. Uh, and the nominees are, Oh boy. <laughs> Of course, uh, Jason Alexander, Seinfeld. Yep. Michael Correct. Richards, Seinfeld. Yeah, that's good. David Schwimmer, Friends. Okay. Rip Torn for Larry Sanders' show. Okay. And David Hyde Pierce for Frasier. I'm not a big Frasier fan, but I could do worse. I've seen Larry Sanders' show. Actually, you know what? I think this is for the 93-94. I, I was reading the 94-95. So, okay. It is all the exact same people except take out David Schwimmer and insert Jerry Van Dyke for coach. Is, he, is that Dick Van Dyke's dad? I believe it's his brother. Oh, it's, yeah, because how could his dad would be like a thousand and twenty? Yeah. Jerry Van Dyke. Uh, he's still with us. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Van Dyke. Yeah, he's the brother of Dick Van Dyke. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, younger brother. Dick Van Dyke is 90. Wow. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to watch those shows. It's not the best. It's, it's just like it's too obvious. If it was like hilarious. Yeah. Oh, 
Oh, I missed what did I miss? Evening Shade by only two years. That would have been something. I don't even know yeah. what that is. So it's not. Yeah, you're right. You don't win the Emmy for an episode, but those were the episodes that were submitted. Right, right, right. Uh, but ostensibly, these are really popular shows. Like this isn't like some movie that you know made five hundred thousand dollars and that you know some guys nominated right. for best supporting actress. They've seen probably a lot of the episodes. This is the number one show on television. So speaking of Dan and our our benefactor. Um, I think I've picked a charity. I want to run it by you, and, and if you like it. Hey, well, hold on. Let's just answer the question first. Yeah, did the Emmys oh, okay. voters make the right choice? Oh, uh, yeah, no. Jason Alexander should be winning these Emmys. Yeah. Uh, David Hyde Pierce is going to win the following year. Uh, did- Frazier cleaned up at the Emmys, which is absurd. Jason Alexander, did he ever, he never won his Emmy? Um, either Jason or Michael never won. No, Michael Richards ends up winning. He wins in 92, 93, and 96 i guess jason alexander he's nominated a bunch of times he never wins yeah i mean that's kind of crazy but you know the emmys are absurd you know uh the wire got nominated for like cinematography once mm-hmm. and that was it so uh, what are you gonna Stephen avery is nominated uh for best supporting actor uh this season <laughs> what supporting actor who's yeah. the who is the who is the lead in that film if not Stephen avery <laughs> I hate when they do that. By the way, there's I won't I won't spoil the film, but I saw one of like the big movies, um, Star Wars. This, you know, no, definitely not. Oh, uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks Road Trip. <laughs> no, I saw one of the big. I saw one of the big. Um, you know, movie that might win Best Picture, and the and so I was like, oh, this uh, kid. Oh, no, I don't want to say it, but like this person is probably going to win the Oscar. And I Google and it's like, oh no, this is a supporting actor, but this person is in every single scene in the movie. Like, the movie follows them. There's not one scene that they're not there. So how could they be a supporting actor? Yeah. Okay. Doesn't make sense. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> what do you, if you see people in Hollywood, just rant at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was like a movie and there was a supporting actor that was in like every scene. And I really think that they should change But that. You know, I think they do it because like, oh, he's not going to win the best actor. But if yeah. we put him in supporting, there is a like, bit of get to decide. We should get to decide. There is a bit of Emmy mandering that goes on uh, with these things. Well, this is Oscars, but yeah, I'm sure it's the same. It's probably even more corrupt. Oscar mandering? Uh, well, the Golden Globe mandering is notorious. <laughs> yeah. Because that's only like 70 people. I mean, you could you could do whatever you want there. All right. Then, are- Dan also adds in, P.S., by my count, you've raised $206 for the charity of your choice. So, Akiva, yeah. what is that charity? Okay, so you could say no to this charity, but it has a great uh, star rating on uh, Charity Navigator or whatever the website is. Charity Navigator. Uh, helps families in need. I wanted to do local, so we could do it. It's, it's uh, I think, based out of... Los Angeles, near you. Okay. And um, it, it uh, helps provide essential clothing, gear, and services to families in need. We're both parents of young kids, so it, it seems like it makes sense. Uh, and it's also started and run by uh, Jerry Seinfeld's wife. Oh, okay. So, it's her charity. It's called Baby Buggy. Baby Buggy. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> sometimes these celebrity charities, you see these articles where like, oh, we never gave a dollar. Yes, but uh, it has like excellent ratings on on like people that rate charities that they actually like, don't have a lot of overhead and really uh, you know just like uh, give out stuff. I think that's a great idea, and I commend you for putting some thought and research into this. But I will say there is a little bit of uh, cynicism here because mm. it gets us like a fifty thousandth fraction of a, a you know if even to get Jessica Seinfeld on, I'd be fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> Do we have to send like a handwritten note? This money was raised. No, we'd have to give more than two hundred six dollars, probably. <laughs> okay. Well, by the end of the series, who knows? That's true. We're gonna have to do like a thirty-five. Dan might have to take on a second job. Yeah, Dan. Uh, you know, we're gonna have to cut it short for if we're ever like running too long. Just like I feel, I, I don't mind going long, but I feel bad for Dan. So let's cut it short. <laughs> we'll patch in the live feed, and he can like uh, like text us like, okay, gun emoji, wrap it up. Yeah, he'll be like sweating. <laughs> like no more guys. <laughs> <laughs> TikTok okay uh let's go to uh eddie eddie mac says to us uh hey robin akiva in the inside looks larry mentions that they tried to get george steinbrenner to play himself in the episode if they had succeeded with the character of steinbrenner had been a one-time appearance in the seinfeld series i'd like to know what you think or could you just ask larry or jerry when you talk to them on the show do you think that uh, the real george steinbrenner would have been a recurring character he would have you know he would have been in the finale uh which they did really film something from in the finale that got cut um but you know there's like i said there's no way they would have gotten like it wouldn't have been like okay we need steinbrenner which a lot of times this happens like two days beforehand like oh it'd be funny to bring in steinbrenner and the way they do it with larry it literally he's already on set it doesn't require anything but yeah. it, it would have ruined the character because he couldn't have been there a lot of times i'm sure and again this is in los angeles like he works in new york it's tricky let's take a question from craig who says uh I'll ask the question probably everybody will be asking, why did George only stick with doing the opposite for one episode? Why doesn't he stick with doing this opposite thing longer? It never failed. I mean, by doing it, he got the great job. He's dating Michelle Pfeiffer's younger sister and he moves out of his parents' house. Well, once the thing he does is the opposite. Now, should he be doing the opposite of the opposite? And that's what he does. He goes back to doing the regular thing. Hmm. Seems like he would stick with that. I feel like that that always bugged me about why doesn't he keep doing yeah. the opposite. And it's not. I, I we, we, we will analyze it next week, but I'm not sure uh, really if we'll come up with a satisfactory answer. All right, Harry wants to write in and say, "I love the journey through season five. Some observations from the opposite episode include: it was good to remember Kathy Lee before the day drinking started, or did it? Did it already start? <laughs> That's oh. So do you think it could have been Kathy Lee's mug? Maybe I mean, not Regis. If we're gonna really now, this is uh, a lot more plausible than Regis boozing yeah i mean it could have been both of them but yeah. yeah i do agree like if you had to deal with regis yelling for an hour every day probably making more money than you mm. by the way what are the odds that kathy lee, i know she's much younger i guess so the odds weren't bad but kathy lee you know out outlasting the reach on uh on tv hmm. well like, she was odds? gone basically and now she's back on the today show yeah she had to come back he's retired she was gone for a while yeah, I think that the who wants to be a millionaire thing really uh, took a lot of the wind out of her sails. Like they were equals and then he was like huge. and I think she just couldn't handle it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would, like is this it for Regis? Like he's not going to have like a Betty White type thing in his 80s. I feel like we could get one more thing out of Regis. I think you can get one more thing out of him. I feel like maybe a, a Trump presidency uh, could sort of revive Regis. I feel like that he's sort Are they of, buddies? Like you think Regis would be like the secretary of state? Yeah, I think so. I Regis think that, would be a wonderful secretary of state. An ambassador. Right? Yeah, I feel like Trump could use him for something. I feel like that even like from like The Apprentice, like Regis would show up a lot on that. You what like an ambassador to like a real country, or he gets like a you know he could be ambassador to like uh, the Bahamas, and he gets like a sweet setup there. I don't know, but I feel like that he would be a part of a uh, of a Trump presidency. I feel well like now, he, like I was not for that, but now I have to think about that. If Regis is involved, <laughs> I didn't know you're such a big Regis fan. No, I, I like the Regis. I gotta find that. We gotta find out more from uh, super fan Robbie from the other podcast, though. You know if he has got any good Regis stories. Okay, so then uh, Harry also wants to know why did Kramer trade out the puffy shirt for the puffy scarf we uh we sort of acknowledge kramer's unusual dress on here also harry wants to know 
Why would Elaine pay concession stand prices when she likely would have passed a Dwayne Reed between the theater and the hospital? Yeah, that's uh, paid probably three times what she would have paid at the drugstore for those jujibees. It's true, although Dwayne Reeds are not cheap nowadays also. <laughs> but I, it, it, it's a very good point, like the concession stand prices. But at a certain point, like uh, she's going to miss, he's going to be out of the hospital. Two other quick things. Uh, Harry wants to volunteer for the position of fake movie correspondent. Uh, everyone out of the channel. He says, do we need a fake movie correspondent? Sure. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but that means we need a plot and the review of every fake movie that comes up. That's right. Next time there's a fake movie, I, we're, we're not even going to tell you it's coming. You yeah, better be there. The, the email in is in the inbox on the Wednesday before the podcast goes up. Also, then finally, Harry adds in, and boy, our recapper, Mike Moore, is not going to like this, wants to know, was Bill Belichick following George's opposite principle when he decided to kick in overtime this weekend? You know, the, the Patriots fan is so crazy at this point that they assume... <laughs> Belichick, who can do no wrong, mm -hmm. is is you know is basically doing this so he could kick the, get the Steelers out of the playoffs and the Jets in the playoffs because the Steelers are the team that the uh, Patriots fear most. Yeah, <laughs> so there's a lot of truthering going on with the uh, with, you know with the and I, I I like to say that 99 percent of all conspiracy theories are bogus, but you know with Belichick you never know. I believe anything about the Patriots. Yeah, Liz writes to us and says uh, I don't tweet, so I'm using this email to thank Akiva for the recommendation regarding making a murderer. On Netflix, it's often hard to watch that poor family get run over by the Wisconsin justice system, but it was a very engaging docuseries. I hope the show will be discussed on uh, most shows recap. And we're, I believe that there will be some podcasts uh, covering that at some point. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we have an announcement on that soon. Uh, love the Seinfeld episode. Elaine's physical comedy adds so much to the show. Her body language as she talks cracks me up. So I, I like that uh, she calls it a docu-series because it's like, oh, what is it? It's not really like a television show. It's not on TV. But I, someone was talking about, uh, about it in the park. With, I was with my kids. Yeah. And they kept saying, they kept calling it a, docu, a documentary, like putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Mm -hmm. And it was making me mad. My wife like saw it, but she was like, oh, don't correct her because then she like was talking about her like sick kid, whatever. And I'm like, no, I really like I'm like foaming. I need to I need to correct people when they're wrong. But it really bothered me when she said documentary. OK, <laughs> great story, Akiva. <laughs> Amir writes in Amir says this episode which happens to be my favorite of all time is so incredibly fantastic every character storyline gets an A plus yet the sum of its parts still far surpasses the individual pieces so really uh, very uh, uh, superfluous with the praise from Amir yeah and uh, this is you know I had told Chester and Amir they could each come on for their favorite episode Chester came on I think he may have been scared away by the reaction to Chester because <laughs> he, he, he passed on coming on this one. Yeah. All right. So here's what Amir says. What promotion is Elaine getting? There was just an opening two episodes ago and it went to Toby. Their discussions made it sound like it was a tremendous deal. So you'd have to think that these openings don't happen all that regularly. Should we assume Toby was fired? Did Littman realize that she's deranged? It's a good question. It is a really good question. Not explored, even in deleted scenes. I think uh, Toby is so crazy that she probably just quit. Mm. Also, Amir says, I don't know if this is part of George's opposite approach, but it seems strange that no one seems to notice George is wearing a polo shirt and a windbreaker to his Yankees interview. He did say he doesn't care about personal appearance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's covered. I think what if he wore a suit, that would be what he would normally do. We've seen him wear a suit to a job interview before. So this is the opposite. And then Amir says, I love the idea of even Steven so much. It's a concept that embodies the very ethos of the show. And pinpoints what the finale is trying to get at. These people and events that surround Jerry's life only have value and importance in terms of how they relate to him. The even Steven storyline here 
puts a name to the narcissism that is the very foundation of this show. Akiva, are you buying or selling this deep dive into that even Steven is the core philosophy of Seinfeld? Well, I think it's Jerry, the character's core philosophy. I do like that. It's sort of what I said. He just said it way more articulately. So maybe we should have had him talk about the opposite. But I think... um, it is true. Like Jerry only sees things how they revolve around him, how it affects his life. He's sort of like a silent narcissist because you don't think of him as this like evil person. And you, like George and Elaine are more obviously uh, sort of like a hateful and uh, spiteful. But yeah, Jerry really in this episode, it really highlights his narcissism. All right. And then finally, Chester, who says, uh, my brother who suffered from asthma as a child always carried our grandfather's old handkerchiefs around as a child. But has anybody else done that since 1994? No, I don't think so. Jake Jarmel left a message with French Stewart at the movie theater. Would this have ever happened even in 1994? Now the French Stewart part. Was that really French Stewart? I think it was. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I don't even see him in the credits. No, it wouldn't happen. Jerry thinks that he's even Steven, but hasn't Akiva documented that he's down several thousand dollars since he started? And also finding $20 in his jacket pocket doesn't make him even. He's still down 20. He's still down 20! Exclamation point. I think that Elaine might have edited uh, Chester's email before he sent it in. Yeah, I, I agree that, um, that right? Because the, the 20's his. But let's say it's gone because he, he doesn't think he's ever going to see it again. Or maybe they could have made it that it's like someone else's 20. It's like Uncle Leo's 20 that mm-hmm. got left in his jacket. Yeah. Johnny DeSilvera also was upset about the 20 in the jacket pocket. Feels like that Jerry is down 20. Yeah, it's a fair point. All right. Also, Chester wants to know why is Lippman's office totally different every time we see it? Of course, the cigar store Indian is still there. Yeah, it's, it's, it like comes at you from a different direction this time. It's weird. Mm-hmm. But maybe they downsized because this company's running out of money. It's expen- you know, real estate. Square footage is really expensive in Manhattan when you're poor. Now, Chester has the dissenting opinion to Amir and to Akiva. Says, why is this episode ranked so high? There's nothing particularly memorable about it. The most famous scene is probably Kramer on Regis, but the coffee table book was already introduced in the cigar store Indian. I would beg to differ. I feel like the opposite the scene with the uh, tuna on toast and, you know, going up to the woman. Uh, and why don't you do the opposite? I think that's a more famous scene than Kramer on Regis. I think people even really like the scene with the Japanese um, uh, businessman. But, I, I, you know, on rewatch, it's just like painful because it's such a like, uh, you know, you know, it's awkward, but I, it's like cringy. But I, I think there's really other than the, the ending, there's really no weak spot. And I don't know why Chester's hating here. Yeah, Chester's been really hard on this episode. I think it's a great way to end season five. One of the most fun episodes that we've uh, talked about. Akiva. All right. So what are we doing next week? Are we going right into season six? Do you want to talk about uh Anything that was, I mean, we have your rankings we, uh, for season five, so we, there's no sense in going through any sort of best of season five type stuff. I mean, I don't have any great ideas. I have like, uh, you know, I could give, I have plenty of lists out there. I got my hundred top hundred TV shows of all time. I got, uh, you know, we could do like, we could each do like top 10 lists about 2015 now that it's now that it's no i don't want to make a you know i'd rather just watch a seinfeld episode and come back so all right unless somebody has something that like there's like a really a change.org petition going around that gets us to change our mind we will be back next week to talk about the season six premiere which is what uh the chaperone we got a lot of like memorable things going on uh, we have Kramer managing Miss Rhode Island, which is timely for the pageant stuff. Uh, we have, uh, you know, jo- uh, we have Elaine and Mr. Pitt, and we have George uh, convincing, you know, the Yankees to switch their uniforms. Okay. So, Kiva, what is the hashtag for this episode? 
I don't know. Something about Macher. Rob's a Macher. <laughs> I think that's too hard to spell. Uh, I have Emmy Mandarin. It's just M A C H E R is Macher. Uh, also, uh, we have uh, anything with Kathy Lee's uh, cup of bourbon. Yeah. How do you make that into a sweet show? <laughs> uh, anything about the opposite of tuna? Or, yeah, people could, how about just people tweet us with whatever their opposite of, you know, what, what's the best opposite of, of tuna on toast? Yeah, we would love to know from you, what is the opposite of tuna on toast? You can hashtag it. You could not hashtag it. We just love to hear from you guys and let us know that you're listening to the podcast. That's always appreciated. You can hit us up on Twitter. I am at Rob Cistrino. Akiva is at Keev26. You can also leave us comments on postshowrecaps.com or you can subscribe to the podcast on our iTunes page at postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes or simply search Seinfeld on iTunes and go to the Seinfeld Post Show Recap. Thanks to Scott St. Pierre for all of his fine work here in season five and Mike Moore. I hope he's not going to be too upset about the uh, Bill Belichick opposite overtime a coin toss joke. Uh, listen, he's got five Super Bowls. He could do, you know, or he, uh, he four Super Bowls. He could do whatever. He be wants. a very petty thing for him to get really thin skinned about. Yeah. He, like we're the little brothers, the Jets. He, he can't worry about what we say. Yes. Yeah, so unless he's doing the opposite and then he's going to get really pissed. Oh, boy. All right. All right. So uh, thank you guys for listening to everything we had to say in season five. We'll be back in season six next week. Happy New Year. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye.